the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Kim McNicholas on innovation. Spotlighting successful entrepreneurs, innovators, investors, and industry experts. Their stories and insights can help you become better informed, better educated, and a better investor. Your host is Emmy Award-winning anchor, reporter, and writer Kim McNicholas. Kim has been a journalist at Forbes magazine, a Fox News Channel contributor, vetted more than 3,000 startups, and has been a mentor for entrepreneurs around the globe. Now, Kim McNicholas on innovation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. We have an amazing guest today. We have Roger Royce. He is with Royce Law Firm here in Silicon Valley, and he is one of the most giving people I have ever met. He is incredibly generous when it comes to startups, so supportive. And in a world where there are 178,000 startups that are emerging every single month around the world, and 75 to 85% of them are going to fail. And my goal is to get, I would say, 75 to 85% of them to succeed. But it's a very, very lonely place to be in terms of being an entrepreneur, especially when you get started, your funds are low, you're maxing out your credit cards, and everything you want to do, every person you want to employ to help you out, it costs money that you really don't have. Well, Roger has been very supportive of me in the entrepreneurial world. He's been supportive of others. And I feel so blessed that you are willing to come in here and help startups around the globe. We have callers that are already calling in from places like Norway. I mean, it's crazy. So it's we're really excited, Roger, for you to be here and be willing to help out startups around the globe, get their feet off the ground and answer their burning questions. So... Well, I want to get started. I, we're already filling up the phone lines. Everybody heard you were coming in today. Okay, great. <laughs> so well, let's get to it. But I want to get started and, and talk to you about what are some of the biggest trends that you're seeing right now in Silicon Valley when it comes to startups? What are the, the biggest areas that people are focusing on? Um, in terms of areas of innovation, it, it's uh, technology is just moving so quickly now, and, and and there are trends. There are definitely trends. It's a fast moving place, and things are always changing. So one thing is that the investment environment, I think, is changing a little bit. I'm seeing far more angel investors now than I have before. We've all been reading reports. We see that venture is down, but certainly not in my neighborhood. We're as busy as we've ever been. We're we're doing deals every day, but it's it's more angel money because it's more accessible. The laws have loosened up a little bit. It's a little easier to put angel money into mm. companies. And, you know, we used to call it Web 2.0, which enabled companies to get started on a lot less money. And it's even easier now. Uh, technology and uh, the markets are enabling a lot of that. In terms of specific technologies, I, I don't know if we'll get into it. I've got a few I'm very excited about. Uh, Agriculture. Well, it, it, well, Healthcare. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but, but, but in terms of the tech that's enabling, well, in terms of industries, definitely. Agriculture is getting wired. That's a big part of our practice. Health tech has always been a big sector. And the third big one is fintech. Mm, and, you blockchain. Know, 
Yeah, blockchain, ICOs, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, cryptocurrency, all, all of that is just moving so quickly. And that's a it's a lawyer's playground because every time something changes, it creates this whole host of legal issues that we get to go in and, and try to figure out. So the technologies are moving and uh, and and we're seeing whole industries just, uh, like I say, get wired, get technology enabled. It creates creating a tremendous amount of challenge and opportunity. How are the terms? You said you're doing a lot of deals with VCs. How have the terms of these deals changed? They're getting more and more stringent. Do you think that it's more of an entrepreneurial environment or a VC environment right now? I'm actually doing more deals with angels and angel groups oh, than wow. VCs. Uh, I mean, we do venture deals, of course. I've uh, and that's those are much more, I guess, market driven. You know, we all kind of know where we're going to end up on those. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of there's a little bit of room to to maneuver depending on how hot the company is. So. I, I can't really comment on big changes in in, in VC terms because uh, that market is extremely efficient. Well, angels angels are a lot looser than VCs. So the, yeah, so the angel deals uh, that I'm seeing the it, it this thing w- has come to be very popular called a safe, and we'll probably talk about that with some of your callers today. Uh, a safe, a kiss. Uh, I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years under the you know just as a warrant. But mm-hmm. all right, so we got a cute name to for it now. Now everybody wants to use it. And, that, and that's fine. We'll do that because it's very entrepreneur friendly. Uh, and that's how most of our angel deals get done these mm. days is through that particular instrument. Think of convertible equity. Uh, and what's attractive about it is that we don't have to worry about valuation so much. Uh, the investor puts his money in and what he gets back is a right to participate in the first equity investment. The other way that we see investment is through convertible notes. That's the old-fashioned way of doing it, and we certainly see a lot of those uh, these days. And that's a little more investor-friendly because that is debt. That gives the investor a priority right to liquidation proceeds if something should go wrong. And and I've heard that sometimes things do go wrong in a startup, so they'll they'll get their money back first. And if it's secured, they'll end up with the company. I've had that happen. Uh, it's not pretty, but it does happen. So the safe, you don't have that problem. Think of convertible equity. The investor just gets in uh, at a little but little better deal than the institution, meaning the VC, when you do your first institutional equity round. And that's what we're seeing um, almost always these days. Wow, that's amazing. I want to hear more about your agriculture focus, though, because I don't know any other uh, law firm in Silicon Valley that has focused on startups that's really into the ag tech as much as you are. Yeah, well, think of me as sort of an enthusiast when it comes to agriculture. I'm from an agricultural area. It's all my family's been in the produce business for oh, 80 years now or something, a long time. Uh, so I've got some background on this. And one day, about five years ago, I looked up and realized that here I am in the middle of California. Uh, I'm in a $45 billion agricultural industry. Uh, I am where about half the venture in this country gets invested right down the street from my office in Menlo Park. And it really is a the center of the technology universe in some respects. Everybody wants to be here eventually. In fact, that's probably why two-thirds of my clients come from other countries and, and other places. But here we are. It's a perfect storm for innovation and agriculture. And what I noticed about it is that things five years ago had just not moved along as quickly as other industries had. In fact, some of my really good friends at the at the very big Silicon Valley powerhouse companies tell me that agriculture was their final frontier. They couldn't get their SaaS solution into agriculture, and they could get it into every other industry, including even healthcare. They couldn't get their software mm. products out there, their analytics. 
that's changed wow. uh, in a big way. In fact, you probably saw the announcement. One of our, our one of the companies that was in our network early on, one of my first speakers is the CEO and founder of Blue River Technologies. Right. They just announced being acquired by John Deere this week. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations and, to them. Well, you ought to see the tech. It's artificial intelligence for machines. So oh, they've wow. got a machine that goes down the field. And as part of my – so when I get involved, uh, I've learned that as a lawyer, it's really helpful if I understand the business and if I understand the industry. So one day a month I go down to Salinas and I pick strawberries or, or you know, or, or help, you know, help harvest something. Uh, I, and I got to tell you, this is backbreaking, difficult work. And it is amazing that there are machines that can do a lot of this now. And mm-hmm. you got to see it to believe it. Uh, but the technology has so enabled agriculture. And and we just hit the first wave. I mean, we, you know, I, I don't want to take the I could spend at easily the whole hour talking about what I think is going <laughs> to happen. Uh, I'm very excited about cro- controlled environment ag. Um, I, I think things are going to change even more and more as we go forward. What's that? Controlled environment? Controlled environment, urban agriculture. So we do events and presentations and programs all over the world. And believe it or not, one of my most popular programs coming up is in Hong Kong. Now, you wouldn't think of... Hong Kong is not no. the first city you think of when you think not of farming. Not agriculture, no. <laughs> well, uh, it's we're getting a tremendous amount of interest from our Hong Kong program really? in December because of controlled environment ag, urban agriculture, uh, growing crops in buildings, and making that process economical. So I know we're a little bit off on a tangent, uh, but. Uh, there's so much going on that there's opportunities for the application of technology in agriculture. And, and my interest in this is from the technology startup perspective. Right. That's why I'm interested. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm friends with all the big ag and big food companies, <laughs> but they're not my clients. My clients are the people that are out there innovating in the field, mm-hmm. coming up with these swing for the fences. I mean, five years ago, did you think that tractors would be controlled by software? I mean, we don't even have to have people anymore. You give them a program and they roll up and down the fields. Well, I've it's just it. like drones going into mines and actually also surveying the fields for farmers. I mean, right. everything's becoming more and more automated and software controlled. Well, coming up right here on Kim McNicholas and Innovation, the phone lines are full right now. I'm sure there are others trying to get through. So right when we come back, we are going to get to those callers. They have lots of questions for you, Roger. So stay with us, everyone. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on Innovation. Well, everyone, welcome back to the show. We have Roger Royce. He is the founder of Royce Law Firm, focusing on startups here in Silicon Valley. And he has a book, Dead on Arrival, How to Avoid the Legal Mistakes That Could Kill Your Startup. What is that one piece of advice? If you were talking to any startup, you turn to page 40, and what are they going to (laughs) find? Well, you know, um, everybody really needs to have a, a background in this and understand at a high level. Every entrepreneur, you have to wear a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. Um, you not only have to get, be good with the technology and the industry, but you need to know what questions to ask. Because I, I can tell you that before you even go to see your lawyer, you need to make sure that you're asking the right questions because yes. they might not volunteer what it is that you need to know. And this book is aimed at that person. I've For, for the last 30 years, I've been working with small companies and startups ups and um, I see the the same mistakes over and over and over again and in the book I really divided things into a couple of different things there are those sorts of mistakes that we can fix not a big deal it's going to cost you a little okay. money so what are they what are those we got to get into specifics let me give you a specific let me give let me just go right to the number one thing yes you know, if there's one thing you should take away from this the thing that I see most often 
uh, and is the biggest problem is just a lack of documentation. Uh, this is the mistake that everybody makes. They wait too long before they incorporate. They don't get it in writing. They make handshake deals, and everything's fine. It's not a problem till it's a problem until you have to put it down in writing, and then you come to find out that your understanding is different uh, or people's expectations changes. That's a dead-on-arrival problem right there. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, that is a big problem. So let's get to one of the startups that's having a problem. Marco, do we have Nicholas on there? Oh, that's what's going on. Nicholas, you got to lower the radio. Well, while we're figuring that out, <laughs> we need some documentation, maybe. So, Roger, what else in, in terms of this book, what else can you pull out of here that you think that well, these startups could use? Certainly lots to talk about. Again, I want to re- reiterate that it, it this is really on you. Just imagine that you're the successful startup company. And, and, I, and that's all I do is technology startups. We have almost 30 lawyers in our office, and this is it day in and day out. And I see almost everything. And I got to be honest with you, it's not that many startups are going to succeed. You know, it's a, it's a very risky game. Uh, I think I've gotten pretty good at picking winners, but but even I am, you know, probably probably <laughs> not. If, if if I were better at it, I'd, I you know wouldn't be a lawyer; I'd be a client. But um, just imagine that you're the startup company. You've got the right technology. You've got the right team in place. Mm-hmm. You've read all the right books, and you and you've listened to Kim McNicholas. So you've gotten really good advice on how to put these things together. And you got to that point where somebody comes and wants to invest in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a disaster it is if there's some legal problem that makes you uninvestable. And I see that all the time. So, and the reason isn't so much that there was bad lawyering. The reason is that the startup entrepreneur didn't really know what he didn't know. Mm. Uh, so documentation is number one. That's the number one biggest issue. The second biggest problem, I said, let me just give you three, because I know we want to go to some calls, but I want to give people some things to take away. Uh, be really careful about IP, right? Uh, most of the companies, in fact, all of the companies I deal with are based on technology. Really important to secure your IP rights. Uh, make sure you don't give that away. It's really heartbreaking when a company comes to me and they've already signed a bunch of contracts and they've kind of given away the farm, right? You know, they, they cannot claim ownership to their crown jewels anymore. Uh, that's something to be very careful about. And the third thing is equity. It's so easy now to go online, to mm-hmm. get on some fly-by-night crowdfunding site and completely screw up your cap table. And once your cap table is messed up, uh, you may never get it back. That's a big problem. So those are the three things that, where somebody has to be very, very careful about what moves they make uh, before they move on to the next level. Okay, looks like Nick is ready. Let's go to Nick on Skype. Nick, what is your company and... 20 seconds or less. And what is your question for Roger? Yeah, hi. Hi, Kim. Hi, Roger. All right, here we go. So my name is Nicholas. I'm the co-founder of Carlson. Uh, what we do is we do health insurance, actually, in Germany. Uh, and we correlate personality profiles with health insurance needs to give people the right insurance, the one they actually need. Uh, so question goes, uh, we're very co- really close to signing a white labeling contract with a big incumbent insurance company in Germany. And I would like to hear your point, Roger, on um, what to watch out for when you like when you're about to engage in such a relationship, that startup, corporate, corporation. Okay, thanks, Nicholas. I'm, I've seen several companies doing stuff like that, so I'm going to give you one specific and one general comment for everyone to take away. For you specifically, you're touching on kind of the biggest, coolest, most interesting thing, I think, mm-hmm. in the law right now, which is the law of data and, and big data, because it sounds to me like your company has a solution that is really managing lots of data. So you're in Europe where there is, I don't have to tell you, you have plenty of uh, laws around privacy uh, and the protection of personal information. Here in the United States, it's not like that. It's much more the Wild West. 
unless you happen to be in California, where we do have privacy laws and there are rules around around uh, personally identifiable data. Uh, but that's not. But the regulatory side is is a small piece of it. The big part about it is ownership. Uh, ownership. Well, who's going to get control of that data? Who owns it? Who can use it? Where can you license it? Can you use? And le- and this leads me into my more general question. Whenever you do a deal with a very large company, they've been through this before a hundred times. They're professionals. They've got contracts, and trust me, they're one-sided. They are in their favor, and you got to be careful because <laughs> this course. is this is exactly one of those top three mistakes I was talking about. You don't want to be in a K in a situation, and I see this all the time where you've accidentally given away uh, everything you have under your contract so that you can't go out and do a deal with somebody else unless that's what you want to do if you you know unless that is what you really intend but be very careful that you know uh, what it is that you're giving up in in any contract when you're dealing when you're in a david and goliath situation awesome thank you so much nicholas for calling in next up we have reed reed what in 20 seconds or less is your company Uh Excellent. Well, first of all, I grew up on the mean streets of Belvedere, but moved to Detroit for the weather. So hello nice. out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm in uh, Orin, too. I've got, I've got a uh, venture capital, well, seed-funded uh, startup called HeroHomes.com. It's essentially a Zillow for military vets wow. using our VA loans. And then uh, none of us know we can use this no-money-down buying power to buy and be resident landlords in small multifamily income producing properties. So there's 23 million of us with a half million dollars of buying power. So I figure that might be interesting. And what is your uh, actual so, product? So uh, we're a, a referral machine to mortgage brokers, real estate brokers, lenders, builders, developers, and securitizers. And we are going to have to go to break, but what is your question for Roger so he can start thinking about it and we'll get to your answer when we return. So there's 650 million vets out there, and I'm thinking about initial coin offerings as a way to roll this thing out internationally. So go to break, and I'll talk later. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you on that note. Yes, ICOs, we're going to top off the hour in the next 10 minutes with a little bit of your opinion on that. So stay with us, everyone. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on Innovation. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we're going to get right to the speed round of callers. And we have on the line right now, we have Reed. He has a referral service for for vets. What was your question again? It was, it was around um, ICOs or initial coin offerings? Sure. So uh, what my thing's really about is to invent and own a pipeline to a new form of mortgage-backed security. And so uh, one of my thoughts of going international would be to proactively do an, do ISOs in each ICOs in each country, and then with the amount of money that's sitting there, then go to the powers that be and say, "Wouldn't you like to change your laws to get all this money for economic development?" And so, and my specific question is, you know, one crazy question mark, and two, what do you need to know about ICO, especially international ICOs, and uh, other than just you need to write a white paper and call yourself Satoshi Nakamoto. (laughs) Oh, boy. 
Yeah, so let's back up. I'm glad you raised this issue. Talk yes. about cutting edge. You know, there isn't a day that goes by these that, that I don't get a call about ICO. So, so for, for, so for our listeners, let's let's back up and understand the, the big legal issue here and the reason this is so hot now is because there's a question. People view this as an end run around the securities laws. Um, the SEC has come out with guidance here a few weeks ago. Uh, it's it wasn't good for the person asking for the guidance, but it was good for the rest of us because it gave us their thinking on this. It wasn't a big surprise. It's what you would expect. And it is basically a roadmap for how to do an ICO that is not a sale of a security. Uh, however, um, it, it can be. It's a very fact-intensive, fact-based analysis. And just keep in mind, if it, if it looks like a security and quacks like a security, it's probably a security. So we have to look at each one of these on their facts. Now, what you just said about the ICO, you, you said ICO, but you don't mean that. You don't mean that you're going to develop a cryptocurrency. Uh, what you mean is something that looks a whole lot more like a Kickstarter product, for, a Kickstarter for your particular product, which happens to be a financial product. So we could probably, uh, in your scenario, we could probably get around the securities laws, provided, you know, again, we've got to go through the factual analysis, and it looks more like a pre-sale. The other, but the issue that you do have is is that the business that you're in, you, you've managed to avoid regulation so far, because you're just the platform. Uh, at some point, and, and I've worked with a lot of companies doing your kind of, what you're doing, at some point you stop being a platform and you start being the broker or you start being the lender or you start being subject to banking and financial regulation laws. So um, highly factual, highly regulated. Uh, there, there is a path, but, but we do have to be careful. Definitely. And if you want to follow up later, Reed, that would be great as well. we got to move on to Victor Brown. We have Victor Brown, who's on the line. Victor, 20 seconds or less. What's your company and what's your question for Roger? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, so um, uh, the company is Excellent Life, and we are a digital healthcare company. And we're utilizing predictive analytics and eventually AI to evaluate a very comprehensive set of health factors to discern what's going on with your wellness in that moment and likely what will happen in the future. And we're doing that in an effort to basically starve off preventable illnesses. I absolutely love that because doctors can't know everything. They can't be up on anything. And if you have a system that can automatically process all new data and bring it into a system and spit out really great, you know, answers, that's awesome for healthcare. What's your question for Roger? Yes, the question is that, you know, because we have such a, you know, ambitious uh, goal, uh, we absolutely need to raise capital. And we're at a place now where we've done all that we can do uh, into we need to really raise seed capital. And oftentimes I hear investors or I hear that investors are more are in more favor of investing in a, an incorporation as opposed to an LLC. So what are the really key um benefits from an investor point of view for investing in a ink versus the LLC. Thanks for the question. That is one of the really big questions, and and oftentimes, unfortunately, the answer depends on what part of the country you happen to be standing. In fact, I'm I'm off to Chicago next week to sit on a panel with the American Bar Association Business Law Section on this exact issue, because different people in dis- different parts of the country have different different opinions. So, how is it that you can get such a wide divergence of opinion? How is it that you can ask three lawyers this question and get four different answers? And the question is, I hate to say it, is because it depends. 
jobs. It's very factual. Here in Silicon Valley, where I am, where you either go big or go home, the answer is almost always a Delaware C corporation. The reason being is nobody cares, uh, nobody expects to get the profits. That's not what you're trying to do. You're not trying to get profitable. You're trying to get eyeballs. You're building goodwill. You're going to, you're going to scale. You're going to build something and you're going to sell it. Uh, you're not going to have a lifestyle business that's going to be profitable and pay out a little bit of income every year that you want to minimize the tax on. Um, the uh, the second thing is that because in order – and, and your company sounds like you fit this category uh, – in order for you to get into – because I know – again, I know a lot of companies doing stuff like this. It's really cool, but you got to get into the market in a big way. You're going you're gonna to need explosive growth. You're going to need a lot of money to do that. So you are necessarily going to probably go out to the VCs, and they will only invest in Delaware C corporations. Now, I know that you'll find – People out in the Midwest or someplace that say, oh, no, I know an institution that'll put money into an LLC. That's not the case in Silicon Valley. It's not the case with the big institutions. It's not the case with the big money, uh, the VC money anyway. Private equity is different. So that's where you're going to end up. Now, uh, I'd like to, Kim, I'd like to follow up on this and tell you one thing. Just because you're going to end up there, don't make the knee-jerk mistake of thinking that's where you have to start. Because I can tell you I've got a lot of companies that walk into my office that think they're going to be an IPO and that's their exit. And they end up being a $30 million sale because the market changed or the competition changed or something changed and they managed to build something that was saleable, but they sold it before they did a financing or they couldn't get the money. And those companies are so happy if they're an LLC. And you know why, right? Because an LLC, we have the opportunity to have a single level of tax on a sale of the assets of that entity. And you don't have that opportunity with a, with a C corporation. Now, there's a million other factors we have to think about. We're not going to get into them here. Um, I'd ha- be happy to talk with you more about this out lo- uh, offline. And if you go to my website, I have memos on this. But one of the big issues is people say, well, gee, I want to invest in a C-Corp because I can get what they call qualified small, small business stock, which means that when you do exit, I don't get taxed on the sale of my shares under certain circumstances. Very true. And that's a factor. That's one of those things you just have to factor in. So tax is a big one. If you're going to have to grant stock options, that's another big issue. You're going to want a corporation if you're going to do that. If you're going to have foreign shareholders, that's a big one because you're going to want a C-Corp if that's the case for a lot of reasons. Um, it's a complex question. 90% of the time we end up with a Delaware C-Corp, but you know it's that other 10% that gets you. So, uh, you, you know, you need to you need to sit down and give it a little bit of thought. Thanks so much, Victor. Next up, we have Marcus Howard on the line. Marcus in five seconds or less, what's your company? And what's your question for Roger? We're in a speed round here. <laughs> hey, Roger and Kim, thanks for taking my call. So it's funny that you mentioned that uh, you, if you could pick the winners, you would be a client instead of a, a lawyer. <laughs> uh, Project MQ actually picks the winners for the indie game market. Mm. We're a discovery platform for the world's best indie games. So like Minecraft, Rocket League, and League of Legends, we're picking the next big hit. Love it. And the question I have is based on IP. Uh, we already have a issued design patent, and unfortunately, our utility patent came back with initial office rejection. Mm. So we want to know if it's worth it for us to respond back to that um, or continue moving forward with our existing patent. Should we spend the money on trying to um, address the, the responses we got back from the USPTO? 
So usually the answer is yes, I'm a big believer in patents. And just for our, our listeners, let's understand that the patent, what that does is that gives you the right to exclude others from being in your space. And if you don't have a patent and you're relying solely on trade secret, now you might, now there are some companies that should do that. I'll just tell you, there are some companies that, you know, if they do a patent filing, eventually they're just going to get into a big lawsuit. So you might as well just rely on trade secret and least and do your best to keep it out of, out of the market. But that's usually not, that's the exception not the rule. The rule is you want patents for a couple of reasons. Number one, you want to know that you're able to operate in your space. Uh, number two, they add value to the company. Your investors are going to ask, you know, what's your IP? Do you have patents? Patents are valuable. In fact, there are some valuation formula that depend pretty heavily on how many patents the company has. So, And then thirdly, trade secret is a really easy thing to lose. So if you don't have patent protection, you are always at risk of losing your IP. Uh, you could have an inadvertent disclosure. You could have people walk out the door. You could have them sign the wrong agreement or no agreement. It's, it's a risky way to run a business. So if your question is, gee, should we go to the trouble to get patents, especially the space that you've told me about that is very hev- heavily IP-centric, mm-hmm. you know, this is one where I'll go out on a limb and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Marcus, for calling in. Next up, let's get Chris Countings. Kootenings, I think, is on the line with Pass It Down. Yeah, uh, Chris Cummings. Chris, quickly, yeah, for- what's your company? Uh, I'll do it quickly. First and foremost, thank you for having me on the show. And Roger, thank you for your time. Uh, so Pass It Down is building a, uh, a digital biography system that relies on artificial intelligence. So imagine sitting down with your mom or dad and having the expertise of a biographer in your phone where you could interview them and capture and preserve their memories forever uh, and pass those memories down to future generations. So the the question is, uh, one of few companies are kind of looking at the privacy issues that come up with anything dealing with like after death, and the uh, the rights to you know view the that media after someone's passed away, and how to make sure that you are structuring that information correctly. Great. Well, in just a moment, we will have the answer to that question. So Roger, I can see he's uh, thinking about it, and we'll have that answer coming back in just a moment. So stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. We have Roger Royce with Royce Law Firm. He's also the author of Dead on Arrival, How to Avoid the Legal Mistakes That Could Kill Your Startup. Before the break, we had Chris on the line. He has a startup that saves the memories for your loved ones. And he was asking about what, Roger? He was asking, Chris, what you're thinking about is is the Online Access, Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act, which is the, the short answer to your question is that it it's based on state law. The, the broader, sure. more general uh, answer that everybody here should should acknowledge, if you've got a web-based company, if you're gathering private information, think of if you're mm. doing something like what you're doing, Chris, is that first, your terms of service better spell out what happens to that information. And then secondly, you need to check state law to see what the requirements are. For example, in California, we have this rule that they're have under, under, as I said, the online access to digital assets rule that if somebody dies, there have to be some tools built into the system to deal with it. So uh, it's good advice for everybody to, to think about these sorts of regulatory aspects. And also, if you reach internationally, I mean, there are different rules even in Canada for contacting people via email. Oh, let, don't get me started on Canada. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. Next up, we have Simon. Simon is on Skype. Simon, what's your question for Roger? Hi, it's actually Simon and Magnus, and Magnus will will handle the question. Hi, we are Psycode, and we're optimizing education. We're a company in Norway and as well France. So 
we have a very interesting question for you guys, and we we're hoping that it's okay to ask you questions about education, since that's what we're optimizing. But first, I'd like to introduce Simon, who is the CTO of Psycode, as well as Tarek, who is the CEO. And we're co-founders. Uh, I'm the CEO. Okay, what's your uh, so, question? Because we have 30 seconds for your answer. Great. So, Simon, would you like to ask the question? Uh, no, it's fine. You can... Uh... Okay, okay we're wasting time here. we got to get to the question, guys. Is no one, what important change to education is no one introducing? What important change to education is no one introducing? Well, I don't know as a, as a business matter, but I can tell you that as a legal matter, we ed tech is a thing, and it's becoming more and more of a thing. And where I've seen people have legal issues in this is that, again, that's a regulated industry. So if you've got bricks and mortar and you're giving classes and courses, you might have to check and determine whether you are required to be accredited. I've had a couple of companies get in trouble over that. So uh, in terms of, I mean, that that's the one legal issue that that pops out uh, in my mind when you when you tell me about ed tech. That's the first question I'm going to look at. And there's another question that they were asking me before. When should a startup bring in investors and what general advice can be received in setting a value of your company to investors interested in a stage that is prototype development? Yeah, when should a company bring in investors? Well, okay, listen carefully. If you don't if you don't hear anything else I've told you for this hour, the answer is never if you can get away with it. If you can fund through operations and not investors, that is way, way better. Uh, you only bring investors if you need that money because you need to scale quickly. You need to get into the market. You need fast growth. Uh, and then the, the, you know the answer to the question is is when do you need the money to implement and execute on your business plan? That's when you bring in investors. Yeah, but it's status. It's cool to get covered by TechCrunch and VentureBeat. I just raised forty million dollars. Well, you call them investors. I call them potential plaintiffs. <laughs> Good one. Love that. Oh, we have Brandon actually on the line. Brandon, what's your question? Hi, hi Kim. Hi Roger. Thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, my name is Brendan, the co-founder of Pixen, and uh, we offer product recommendation quizzes for e-commerce. Um, so basically, uh, we're inter- offering an interactive experience uh, for the consumer. Uh, my question today is in related to kind of one of the last ones. As a recently uh, launched SaaS software company uh, about to, you know, incorporate the angel investment, um, what's the main disadvantage uh, from a legal perspective for going the Delaware C-Corp route? And again, uh, I'm calling in from Madrid, Spain, but I'm originally Boston-based, and and we will be incorporating in the U.S. soon. Well, the one, there's really only one disadvantage, and that's just the tax aspects. Now, if you end up, you know, getting VC money, and, 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 I mean, then it doesn't matter, because you have to, like I say, most of the time you have to be a Delaware C-Corp anyway, but... But where I pause on this is that if you're going to raise a little bit of angel money and then you're going to exit, and it's not a billion-dollar exit, it's, like I say, a 10 to $30 million exit, if you do that as a pass-through entity, an S-corporation or an LLC, you, you end up potentially saving yourself 20 percentage points in taxes. It's big, you know, it's a, it's a big difference. Just kind of do the math. So the, the, the tax aspect is, is the one disadvantage, really. I mean, there's a lot of – there's minor stuff. There's You can do this and that with benefits and you know, stuff like that but that's all noise level when it comes to that one big one big tax issue thank you so much brendan next up we have adam adam quickly what's your question for roger hey everyone thanks for having me on uh so my question is uh we're in rapid growth mode now with our company um and i want to know the best strategy uh, to negotiate convertible note debt terms uh, from investor investor to prevent a convoluted debt pool uh, with different terms for each investor yuck um <laughs> 
No, I, I, I know. And, and that's one of the reasons people use these sorts of instruments. The difference between equity rounds and debt rounds with equity, typically you have one big closing, everybody gets the same thing. There might be different triggers and maybe you got side letters, but for the most part, it's one deal, one valuation. With debt, you got different caps negotiated every time you go out. And that works in theory if you got, but just keep in mind, a savvy investor is going to ask, he's going to want some sort of most favored nation terms. They're going to ask you what you did in your last round. Uh, and you got to think about everything you're doing as being precedent. Um, and uh, that that's sort of that's sort of the issue, but that is one of the advantages of of these rolling debt rounds is that you do independently negotiate them, and you hope that um, you know you hope that you don't get in trouble uh, because of something that you've done in the past that comes back to haunt you. Now I want to get on Russell really really quickly. You have seriously ten seconds, Russell, to ask your question, and Roger, you have fifteen seconds to answer it. And I'm not joking. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh- I took on a venture capital investor via convertible note, and now this investor is trying to uh, get me to sell the software, which is the value of our company, to a third company where he's going to be 49% owner and I'll be 51% owner. He's basically frozen us out from doing anything via our contract that we had, which was horrible. Um, and so I'm, I'm stuck and he's trying to get me to do this, which to me seems like I'm going to get sued by my current partner if I try and do that. So really quickly. Well, like I say, that's why you don't take on investors unless you absolutely have to, because you run into issues like this. You've said a mouthful. There's a million fiduciary issues and contractual issues. It's very complicated. It depends on what your documents say. Thank you so much. And we can have you follow up with Roger after the show. Yeah, happy to. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Sorry about the speed round, but Roger is a popular guy. If you want to find out more, pick up his book, Dead on Arrival, How to Avoid the Legal Mistakes That Could Kill Your Startup. He also has amazing memos on his website. This has been Kim McNicholas on Innovation. You can connect with Kim on Facebook forward slash Kim McNicholas or email Kim McNicholas at gmail.com. Be sure to join us again next Friday at 1 for Kim McNicholas on Innovation. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.